Keystone Sports Network. Hello and welcome to the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Chris Bucanani. Chris, as always, it's great to chat some actual Penn State football with you. Yeah, well, it was sort I mean, of actual, actual football, wasn't uh, it? Depending on your definition, I suppose. But yes, as close as we're going to get until September. It was, I, and I'll tell you, my first reaction to it is I understand why they had to play it the way they did. It kept, I was far from on the edge of my seat watching, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to do one more kind of blue white wrap-up discussion, Jim, in part because I listened to Keystone Kickoff on Monday, from Monday of the week we're recording this, when you and Dustin were talking about the blue-white game and your reactions and impressions and everything. Reminder to everybody, you can hear the Keystone Kickoff on radio stations throughout Pennsylvania and find Station and Time at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or just download it wherever you get your podcast, probably where you're listening to this crossover show right now. But I wanted to just download my reactions, what I saw on the field, what I thought about the weekend, uh, hear how they contrasted with yours because you, unlike me, Jim, have had a chance to review the broadcast version of the game through the magic of DVR. And I'll be interested to hear how it came across on television from your impression. And I did just want to react to how, I don't know, disgruntled you seemed about the change in format in the game and ask you seriously, why do you care? I mean, Jim, have you been bolted to your seat by the riveting action of the blue-white game in previous years? Like when the fourth and fifth string, string offense and defense were out there in the second half, were you just totally fixated from the bleachers? Like, oh, I, ca I cannot wait to see what Cole Chippy Alley is going to do next. I, 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 I appear to be in the minority from not just from listening to your show, but from talking to uh, several other folks here over the last few days, in not really caring at all that they changed the format uh, from a fake game that is largely disinteresting to a series of drills and seven-on-sevens and, and kicking exhibitions that were largely disinteresting. The As I said last week, the blue-white game is the worst part of blue-white weekend and if they do it more like a practice versus a pretend game, it doesn't really change much of anything from my perspective. Well, let me respond this way. Do you remember a week ago when I asked you how anxious were you for this game on a scale of 1 to 10 with the whiteout being a 10? And I think as a 1, I picked some couple obscure college teams playing in November in the freezing rain. Hey, you're hey you, you, you picked Kansas Toledo, and I would argue that Toledo is not an obscure college football program. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. But your response was, hey, I'd still be interested in that Kansas Toledo game because it's a game with a winner and a loser, and you said I should make as a one what was a, a preseason hockey game. Yes. Well, I understand. I get that the blue-white game is meaningless, okay? But it's still a game. It's still a winner and a loser. Blue wins, white loses. That's what sports is about. 
if if I'm walking through the park and I see a three-on-three basketball game being played and I stop to watch, I'm looking to see who's winning and who's losing. It just that's competition, that's sports. And this particular format, when they go to it, and maybe it was, I know they tried to do this was offense versus defense, but the way the scoring system worked, there was like no reaction from me about, oh, two points for the defense because they got a sack. You know, I just didn't feel it. That very last series where it did turn into if the offense scores a touchdown, they win, and if they don't, the defense wins. That kind of interested me, and I don't Mm -hmm. even care if they were fifth stringers on the field at that time, but I was going to see a winner and a loser. That was the closest we got to that. So that, and plus I just, in watching the broadcast, which you didn't, I was just so thoroughly disappointed, and and as an example, both Bo Prabula and Christian Vayu were wearing number nine. I'm not sure why they did that, but they'll never be in the game at the same time, so I guess there's no harm. But on the broadcast, all they said, well, we're not sure which one it is because they're both wearing number nine, so oh well. Well, it's pretty important. Whether Vayu's in there or Bo Prabula is in there, you have, television. On, you have people on the sideline. How about when a new series starts, somebody from the sideline say, hey, that's Bo Prabula who just came in the game. You know, not to mention when a pass is completed, especially now where there are so many new players on the field, how about identifying the player who caught the pass? I know it's a crazy thought, Chris. But I thought it would have been a nice added touch on the coverage. The Penn State Athletic Department has like 9,000 employees now. I'm sure there was some sports information person scurrying around up there in the press box they could have tracked down to just ask, you know, get your spotter. Hey, go find somebody from SID. Is that Probula or is that Veyu? You know, whatever. I guess they figure that if you are sitting at home watching a football practice on television – you get whatever you deserve in this in this situation. Yeah, I want to speak quickly before we get back to the game, Jim, just about the weekend in general, because we will probably spend some time discussing the on-field stuff, which, as I've said, is the least compelling part of the weekend from my perspective. I was very happy to see the life back in Happy Valley in a way – that I don't even know that I sensed it too often during the regular season last year because we were still really climbing out of the coronavirus pit last year, and now it feels like, by and large, that is really in the rear view for the majority of folks in the country, fortunately. And I got to go downtown on Friday morning. I mean, Happy Valley on a football Friday, even a fake football Friday, is one of the best things for me. I went got some coffee at the cheese shop chatted up some of the state college locals and then just walked around campus in college avenue for a while and you could already sense the energy level going up early on friday morning which was awesome the traffic both on the streets and foot traffic was picking up there were clearly a lot of people who were coming into town early 
to enjoy the day before. And that carried over into Saturday. We had some crappy weather to start the morning off if you got there when the lots opened like we did. But you stuck it out, and it turned into a very beautiful day. So the weather was great. There were a lot of tailgaters. You know, they said 62,000 people inside the stadium. There were many, many thousands more who never made it into the game and were just enjoying the weather and the good company and the good times. So it was nice. It was a very, very nice weekend, and we desperately needed it financially and psychologically. So, man, I, I enjoyed myself quite a lot. As someone who comes into town from outside, not being a local, and I was one of those who did come in on Friday, and, you know, uh, shameless plug, I stayed at the Go PSURV lot, had a tremendous time there, met a few people, it was great. And then for the, the tailgating was a lot of fun, and you're right, the, it, you saw the excitement level again return, tailgating was was tremendous a lot of fun and this may sound like a small thing chris but there was a was a group of students there some kind of singing group they came over to our tailgate and performed and it all of a sudden it's just that that energy level that you only get when there are students around Mm -hmm. and it 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 was a lot of fun it was great so I'll just uh, agree with you on that. It was a different feeling this weekend, a great feeling. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Then the game started. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, with that said. You know, Unnecessary my, evil, Jim. Yes, yes it is. But you're still hoping to see something. And there were things like Sean Clifford, he's beginning what, his 37th year as the Penn State quarterback. I'm not sure um, I, it matters what Sean Clifford did, you know. Whether it definitely does not. We know what he is. But mostly what I was doing was looking at the young players, the new players. Mm-hmm. The first thing that stuck out to me is I believe I had the number at eight of the early entry players. And what just really impresses me about that, Chris, is these are kids who are supposed to still be in high school. And they're on that field performing. And I thought overall carried themselves pretty well. I was very happy to see those young players. And no, we didn't see Drew Aller light up the scoreboard. But I was okay with that. I think just the fact that these kids were on the field playing and holding their own was pretty special. Yeah, I was okay with it too because while I understand a quarterback controversy would be good for ratings, I guess, or, or you know, audience share or what, whatever it is we traffic in, Jim, I, it, it, they are also extremely exhausting to have to talk about. And I am hoping maybe the fact that Drew Aller or Alar, depending on who you talk to, whether you listen to the stadium announcer, Dean DeVore, or you listen to James Franklin in his post-game press conference. I was listening to you talk to Ross Tucker last week, and we still don't know because uh, uh, Dean pronounced it Alar, in, or Aller inside the stadium, and, and then Franklin says Alar in his post-game. I'm like, I, I still don't know how to say this kid's name. Well, let me, let me tell you why I go with Aller. Yeah. There was a promotional video I saw when the incoming freshman arrived and they were doing the, hey, I'm Nick Singleton, blah, blah, blah. And I swear, 
Drew himself said, hey, I'm Drew Auer. And Straight from the whatever. horse's mouth. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going with Auer. I'm going with. I mean, I, I am not relying on James Franklin. He, is at, he, he crossed the 50 threshold this year. He's at the half-century mark. So he's probably well on his way to getting to the point of the Paterno-Bowden place where you just refer <laughs> to the guys by their numbers. <laughs> no, I thought 15 had kind of a, a rough outing out there. So that, that, by the way, is one of the things I absolutely miss the most about old-school Blue-White Weekend. Joe Paterno doing color commentary with Steve Jones on the radio broadcast of the Penn State Sports Network was just one of the most wonderful things to listen to. You have not lived as a Nittany Lion fan unless you've gone to the blue-white game, had the earphones in, and listened to Joe Paterno hock a loogie into a broadcast-quality <laughs> microphone and have that beam directly into your earlobes. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Truly, I miss it. But a couple of comments, Jim, on the first-year guys. James made some comments in his post-game presser that I thought were actually pretty interesting. The first of which being that they believe this year they have more first-year players poised to make an impact during the regular season than they have had since James has been here. And I think that's probably right. You would expect that given the pedigree of the recruiting class. But I thought it was interesting that he decided to put that out there because James is very disciplined with his message control. So if he puts information out there, it's because he is not just permitting, but almost encouraging us to talk about it. So I think he feels comfortable raising the bar of expectation for the true freshman class to be contributors next season. So that's exciting if you're Penn State football fans. And he also talked about the opportunity to perform in front of the crowd and to get a sense of how that is going to affect the way players perform versus what they had been seeing from them in practice. So again, that I thought you saw so many of those first-year guys, early enrollees, get a chance to have the experience of being inside Beaver Stadium with full stands to the left and right of them, that's pretty positive. And if a guy who stuck out to me among that group, who I know you and I both like, is I thought Katron Allen – Looked very impressive running the ball. I, I think probably if I were going to choose, <clears throat> excuse me, between Allen and Singer, Singleton, who I thought had the better day or who I thought stood out to me a little bit more, I would actually say Katron Allen. And he his skill set brings something that I thought was missing from the offense last year. So we very well may see both those true freshman running backs get some run next year or this year. That, it is. That seems realistic. And – I've seen enough tape on Nick Singleton. I've talked to enough people who've seen him, people who know him. I do expect a lot from Nick Singleton. Sure. And the fact that he didn't have an 80-yard run is, you know, I don't, I have not changed my opinion of him. But you're right about Katron Allen. He's been sold to us as kind of the thunder and a thunder and lightning pairing with Nick Singleton. This is the guy, he's going to come in on third and one, and he's going to fall forward and get you two or three yards and make sure you get the first down. I I was surprised at his quickness, <laughs> and I didn't expect to see that. And it's like, well, gee, if this is a guy you describe as running people over, getting you that two, three yards in a cloud of dust, no, he's got a whole lot more to him than just that. Yeah, he's a nice package of talents, so I am looking forward to see where things go with him. 
What else stood out to you, Chris? What individuals, did anyone make any plays, anyone do anything that made you take notice? Again, you know, obligatory disclaimer that you can only take so much from the blue-white game or practice or whatever you want to call it. It's one window into the team, and it's really just for fun. But I, I, I found some things. First, I'll, I'll shout my guy, uh, Ben Jones, at statecollege.com. I will link in the uh, obligatory podcast feed of this show his five observations from the game. I thought he did a pretty good job summarizing the top-line takeaways. So I'll just touch on a couple of other details that stuck out to me. First of all, Jim, I was concerned, as you know, about the linebacking group this year. And I thought what we saw from uh, Kobe King, who is a player who I think is going to have to play a lot for Penn State if we're going to get the most out of the linebacking trio this year. I thought he looked really good. And I thought it was encouraging to see the way Jonathan Sutherland seems to really have found a home at linebacker. When they announced that they were moving him, I thought that made a lot of sense. He seems to be settling in very nicely there. And I think that's a bonus for the coaching staff. And if you look at what we're expecting out of Manny Diaz's defensive scheme, I think he fits well with what Diaz likes to do schematically. And if you heard James talk about it, I forget whether it's post-game presser or one of his media availabilities during the weeks leading up to the game, he talked about the move of Sutherland from safety to linebacker being one the staff had been pondering already last year. And then when Manny Diaz came in and evaluated the available talent, he said, we're, we're moving this kid to linebacker. So that was one of the first things that stuck out to me. I, I, I think we might be okay at linebacker, and, and I really liked what I saw from Sutherland in terms of his acclimation to the new spot. My concern at linebacker is, is depth. Remember a year ago, they had you had your three starting linebackers, and if anything ever happened, like Ellis Brooks was out for half a game, had to sit out, you took a defensive end and moved him the linebacker. Yeah. Or you took Jonathan Sutherland from safety and moved him the linebacker. You didn't have depth last year. Then you lose two out of three starters, plus your number one guy in Jesse Locata, who would step in as the fourth linebacker. And you lost, so I'll say three out of four top linebackers are gone. So I am concerned about depth. The thing, too, about... Um, moving Jonathan Sutherland to linebacker, in today's college football game, you very often have an extra defensive back in the game anyway. And you play with two linebackers and five DBs. So in a way, it, we've probably reached the point for a lot of defenses, that's more standard than the three linebackers. You know, my question is, okay, how about you know, on third and one, where you want to load up the the front of the defense, are you going to replace Sutherland with a bigger linebacker? And who do we go to at that point? Is it Tyler Elson comes in and plays with Kobe King? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't know that. So I'm not as concerned as I believe some people are that oh, my goodness, you're so desperate that you're playing a safety at linebacker, Chris. No, no, I, I think it's more a case of his 
skill set fitting better at linebacker, especially defending a lot of the spread it out offenses that you see in the Big Ten now than at safety. And that actually transitions, Jim, into my next observation from the game, which is that I went into Blue-White Saturday suspecting we had a nice collection of talent at safety, and I feel better about that now having seen them on the field. We know Jair Brown is um, a great player. He's a known commodity. We feel really good about having him back as, I think, one of the leaders of the defense on and off the field. And then there's going to be a nice collection of talent that can rotate in opposite him at the other safety spot, step in, as you talked about, as sort of a nickel player. I think there's going to be an imperative to get these guys on the field, Keaton Ellis, Jalen Reed, and Zaki Wheatley, because they're just playing so well. Uh, the starting safety tandem to begin the game was Brown and Ellis, and I know the staff likes Ellis at safety, but Reed played a lot last year as a freshman, and he looked good, and we've heard a lot of hype about the spring camp that Zaki Wheatley had, and I, he's a kid who's intrigued me since we recruited him. And he was all over the field on Saturday. He was around the ball always, which is what you've heard about the kid. He's just got a good nose for the ball, good football instincts, and, and he gets in there and he makes plays. So I I feel in the uh, – after the departure of Jaquan Brisker, you were really hoping to not have too much of a drop-off from a great safety tandem from last season, and I feel pretty good that we're going to be uh, – you know, we're going to be well set at that spot. I agree with you. That was one of my takes also. And exactly as you said, was the key Wheatley, he just seemed to find the ball, be around the ball. Combine that with what the coaches have been saying about him. Very comfortable with him. I'm comfortable with Keaton Ellis there. And, yeah, I'm I'm thinking that safety, it's almost becoming like the we're going from linebacker U to safety university. It hmm. seems like every year we've got that cycle, and Dustin and I were joking about it that, you know, there, there's two feeder systems to the safety position. One is Lackawanna Junior College, and the other is the cornerback room, okay? You know, it's like Keaton Ellis came from there, Wheatley came from there, and then you have the guys coming from Lackawanna, you, you know, Brisker, Brown, and, you know, Tyrese Mills now is the next one coming in this summer. So that seems to be a pretty good feeder system they have. Here's my last takeaway from the game, Jim, and then I'll have a, a bonus observation from being inside the stadium. I'll slap Brandon Noble in the face here by talking about the punting game. Penn State <laughs> fans are going to need to get to know the name Alex Bacchetta. He's perhaps one of the most important, though also most overlooked, recruits from that stellar 2022 class. Because from what I saw in the stadium on Saturday, Penn State is going to have an open punting competition this summer. And Bacchetta is the highest ranked freshman punting recruit in the country. And I know people laugh and they say, oh, punters, punters aren't real football players. And Goon gives me crap. He says, oh, punters are holders. That what they do. That's what they do. Listen, kids. I'm going to tell you a story about the sanctions era and what has totally changed the way I think about the punter position. Although anyone who watched the 87 Fiesta Bowl and what John Bruno did for the Nittany Lions in that national championship game should already appreciate the importance of having a good punter. But I'm not going to name names, but we had some rough performances out of our punting game. 
during the sanctions scholarship limited time period. And I can remember one game in particular where an absolutely brutal shank inside Nittany Lions territory at Beaver Stadium cost Penn State a game. And we really, we cherished every one of those wins back in those days because it was week to week, number one, and number two, every win was a way to shove it in the face of all of our critics and doubters in the press and in the general public. And I remember at that moment, I was like, man, I am never going to take for granted having a good punter who can help this team control field position. And coming off having Blake Gilligan and Jordan Stout making huge impacts on games over the last six years, I am never again going to not pay attention to the punting position. So we're going to hope that the decision to use a scholarship on a freshman punter continues to pan out. Because again, I do not expect Penn State's offense to light up the scoreboard. That'll be a pleasant surprise for me if we have a potent offense this season. So we are going to have to win some games with our defense. And a big part of that is controlling field position. So that's my contrarian argument for caring about who Penn State's punter is. Well, Chris, I think there's a rule. If you're an actual football player, you mentioned, you know, Brandon Noble, you mentioned Goon, I'll mention Ross Tucker. I think it's somewhere in their contract when they first start playing football that you are obligated to belittle the punting and kicking position. As if, like, we don't know they're tough and more – tougher and more athletically gifted than kickers, right? Like, guys, me thinks thou dost protest too much. I understand, right? I get it. I I don't think, like, oh, man, you know what? I bet Brett Conway could have beat up Brandon Noble. (laughs) I understand you're the real football players and they're the specialists. But let me tell you, if a place kicker misses a game-winning field goal opportunity or – a, a, a lousy punter shanks a kick that puts the ball in Penn State territory and ends up costing us the game. I still feel crappy coming out of the stadium. Like every element in my week not being ruined by a Penn State football loss is important to me. And I always look for the undervalued details. I look for what are the places that are sneaky critical in deciding between winning and losing. And so that's just where my attention goes. And it's almost like you, you, you've uh, c- committed some affront to their manhood by even admitting <laughs> that the position is, is part of the game. And again, you know, I get it. I totally get it. They're, they're not real football players, but they still got to make the kicks. Like, we miss a game-winning field goal. They don't come out and say, like, oh, well, it's okay. Penn State won anyway because kicking's not real football. <laughs> well, and – and you could ask Bobby Bowden years ago in a national championship game, how important is the kicker? And the, the thing of it is, I'll go mm-hmm. even further probably. Or in the Orange do. Bowl I, after 2005. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But those positions are critical. I believe they deserve a scholarship. I understand it's like, well, who? Uh, not the current special teams coach, the previous one did a press conference where he talked about that. I've got to get it right. Yeah. Joe Lurie. Yeah. I only get one scholarship punter every four years and one scholarship kicker. So we got to make it work. I got to go one for one. You know, I can't go one for two, one for three. Make that scholarship work for you. Make sure you hit on it. And that's what's important. So 
as you mentioned, you know, Blake Gilligan, Jordan Stout, how could you be a Penn State fan and not recognize the value of them and hope that Alex Pachetta does the same thing? And by the way, Blake Gilligan apparently is a big advocate mm-hmm. of Bichetta, is a, a big fan of his. And then I'll also go to the kicking side. We saw, our, you know, are you confident in Jake Pinniger right now kicking a field goal? Probably not, or at least I'm not. I found it comforting to see that there's at least an alternative there. Sanders Sahedek, he looked pretty confident in kicking his field goals, okay? And again, I realized what the forum was and all, but he looks like he has the leg. So, and one last thought on the actual players who don't respect the kickers. What I thought was funny is, and the episode is getting downloaded today with uh, my show with T. Frank. And one of our Ask T. Frank questions was about the kicker and asking T. Frank to evaluate it. And T. Frank sounded just like Brandon Noble and Ross Tucker. I don't scout them. <laughs> you know, it's, that's not real football. <laughs> I, I evaluate linebackers and defensive linemen. Kickers, I don't watch that tape. And I get it. You know, what are you going to say about a kicker? Strong leg and he's accurate or not. But those positions are critical. All right, Chris, you said you had one bonus observation for us. Yeah, neat. I say the name Sam Ficken to any Penn State football fan who was alive in the last 35 years. And I, I tell you what, they have plenty to say, good and bad. It doesn't matter till it matters. And you can say, oh, Bucanati, you just spent the last 10 minutes of a podcast talking to us about punters and kickers. Why the hell am I listening to this? Well, let me tell you, because it is a long offseason, my friend, and you are going to hear the same nonsense about our wide receivers and our offensive line and our quarterbacks over and over and over again. How many people are going to keep you listening through double-digit minutes of punter talk? Who loves you, baby? Okay, so here's my last observation, Jim. And that was that it was great to get inside Beaver Stadium. One of the things I like about Blue White is if you bring your kids, there's room for them to run around, partially because you can pick your seat. So I went into the game with one of my buddies, and we decided to be nostalgic and go sit back in the old school freshman student section just to sit in those seats we hadn't been in 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 20 years. And – It was, you know, that's still the student section now. I don't know how they divide up the classes because they've moved it around a little bit since my day. But we got to sit very close to the blue band. And, man, I just enjoyed the hell out of those two hours inside the stadium. The weather helped. Being around all the students was a lot of fun because clearly a lot of them just kind of naturally gravitated back to where they normally sit in the stadium, even though they could have gone anywhere. And it took me a couple days to realize one of the huge factors in why I enjoyed it so much. They let the blue band play, Jim, a lot during blue-white game scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. There weren't like blasting Ozzy Osbourne every nanosecond there wasn't a play happening on the field at you know 50 decibels too high. And it felt like college football. And I am not stick-in-the-mud curmudgeon guy about all the bells and whistles and the fireworks and the videos and the music in the stadium. I love all that stuff 
in moderation balanced with the elements that make college football unique and great. And marching bands, and specifically at Penn State, the blue band is one of those things. I am not alone in feeling like the formula got all out of whack last season to the point where we were just being inundated with so much sensory overload during the games that it felt more like you were at a a minor league hockey game than at the greatest show in college football. College football. Let the blue band play a little bit more. It was great. It, 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 again, it didn't even, it, I didn't even process it for a day or two afterwards. And then I realized, man, that felt like my old college football experiences as a student, not just because I was back in my old seats, but because when play stopped, there was a marching band playing. Not the same three songs that you can hear in every sports arena from minor league baseball, single A, right on up in every state in the union. Okay, Chris, as much as I agree with you, more blue band is a good thing. It is now official. You have reached the age where you're a cranky old man. When you start using words like moderation, welcome to the club, Chris. Welcome to the club. Well, see, Jim, I am old at heart. So the older I get, the more age-appropriate my takes become. They haven't changed in 25 years. So I'm actually regressing to the mean. <laughs> so you, what you're telling me is you were an old man when you were 21. You are now just growing into that old man attitude. A hundred percent. My curmudgeonliness is less and less unnatural with each, each passing year. Welcome. Welcome to the curmudgeon club. Appreciate We've been it. Waiting Thank you for you, Chris. We've been waiting for you. All right, folks, that is it for our show. Thank you for listening. Be sure you join us next week on the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. Keystone Sports Network.